How do you do personally with change? Have you ever thought about this? Um, are you the kind of person who just rolls with the punches? Um, or like when change comes to you at work, do you find your way down to the boss's office and barge in there and be like, hey, I don't know if you know what this change is going to mean, but let me just explain it to you and try to talk them out of, out of some changes. H- how do you manage with change? Let me just tell you, if you don't deal well with change, 2020 has been tough on you, right? <laughs> this year has been a difficult year when it comes to change. Uh, for me personally, I'm not much of a traditionalist, so I, I don't get stuck in too deep of a rut. Change usually doesn't throw me that hard. Uh, however, 2020 has been a bit of a bumpy road for us. One example, um, my family had settled in to be in a family of five. You know, we were comfortable with that. I was getting used to the idea of being just a girl dad, even though I've always wanted a son. But God gave me three little girls and it's been me and my wife and our three girls. And, you know, we were... We're out of diapers. We're trucking on. We got kids in school. We're, life is moving right along. Um, shocker, Lauren gets pregnant, right? So that's like, whoa, okay, starting over again. Then we go to get the first ultrasound. Double shocker, right? Twins. So we are, uh, as of 2020, thank you, uh, going from a family of five to a family of seven. Yeah, we're, we're the, that weird family now, right? That uh, literally had to sell a vehicle and get a different vehicle just to hold my crew. I'm going to be driving a bus, Philip tells me, before too long. So change can be a difficult pill to swallow. Anybody ever been there? Okay, y'all are quiet today. Uh, but I have. And that's what's happening in our text today in Acts 11. If you remember last week... Peter and Cornelius, uh, they had this exchange and Cornelius and his whole family comes to faith in Jesus. He's a Gentile. This is a massive change. And now Peter is uh, coming back to the church in Jerusalem and he's trying to explain the transformation that's happened. So remember the overarching storyline from the book of Acts. Just quickly, um, Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 1, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, that promise is coming true. We've seen the gospel heard and believed in Jerusalem as the spirit came on uh, those in the upper room. And Peter preached that first message. Three thousand people came to faith in Christ. Well, soon the early church was scattered over the regions of Judea after Stephen was martyred. Well, Philip begins to preach the gospel to the Samaritans and they believe and they receive the spirit of God. And now Peter is going to the Gentiles to preach the gospel and the spirit moves in power. Uh, Judson Bluster preached a couple of weeks ago and that was his message. Jesus is working. He is still working. Amen. Jesus is still working and he's still advancing the kingdom. 
So what we talked about last week was that Peter had this unbelievable divine encounter with Cornelius and his friends. God gave Peter a vision of a sheet filled with unclean animals and told him to kill and eat. Meanwhile, God sent an angel to a Roman centurion and told him to send for Peter who would have a message of salvation. Do we see that God set this whole thing up? It's God's doing. He set it up kind of like he did with Philip and the Ethiopian. If you remember, Philip runs up beside a chariot. This guy's reading Isaiah, the scroll. He's like, hey, man, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, no. Would you tell me? (laughs) It's this amazing gospel situation and God is orchestrating it all the way. And what we know is that God is working to build his kingdom. And here's what God intends. He intends, just like we sang this morning, to welcome in all kinds of people from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue on the planet. Right. God is welcoming in a beautiful mosaic of people. When we look to the future in Revelation chapter five, that's what we see. People from every tribe and nation and tongue all over the world have gathered around the throne of King Jesus to worship him. That's the church future. The church present is bringing that kingdom into fruition by the power of the spirit. So this is the change. This is the bump in the road that the church in Jerusalem wasn't ready for. And here it is. Salvation is of the Jews, but it is for everyone. Now listen to that. Salvation is of the Jews. Do you remember when Jesus said that to the woman at the well? She said, well, where do we worship on that mountain or the mountain in Jerusalem? She was having that argument and Jesus said, you don't really know what you're talking about. Salvation is of the Jews is what he said. But it is for everyone. Peter preached this gospel and he witnessed the grace of God given to these new Gentile believers. He and his friends are shocked. The Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles at Cornelius's house, just like he did the Jews at Pentecost. It was, as uh, Luke said Wednesday night at Refuel, it was the Gentecost. I thought that was hilarious. You guys didn't like it as much as I did, but I thought it was great. The Gentecost. Um, this was a culture shattering moment. Culture shattering. And here's where I want to drive the theme of the message today. Where man had built fences, God was building a family. Where man had built fences, God was building a family. Peter, in his sermon, right at the beginning of his message to Cornelius, he said, obviously, God shows no partiality. But what we see in Acts chapter 11 is sometimes people do. So let's read our text together. Acts chapter 11 We're going to read verses 1 through 18. A lot of this is going to recap the story. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? The 
Bible says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Those are unclean animals. He's not supposed to eat them. Verse 7. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them. Making no distinction. You might want to underline that phrase. These six brothers also accompanied me. So some of his Jewish buddies, he took them with him. And we entered the man's house. And he told us, this is Cornelius. He told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You And all your household. So as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Father, thank you for your word. We stand under its authority now. Holy Spirit, You have all freedom to be our teacher, to convict us, and to guide us into all truth. Would you move in this time, Lord, for your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when Peter returned to Jerusalem, the gossip had already beat him there. The gossip. uh, The word had already gotten back to the church of what Peter had done, that he had gone with some Gentiles to a Gentile house. He had preached the gospel and he had baptized them. The Holy Spirit came on them and he baptized them into fellowship. The circumcision party, which might ought to be in quotation marks if it's not in your Bible, because that's a group. It's a designated group. And they were incredibly upset by this. 
Now, just so you know, we're going we're gonna to keep battling with the circumcision party for a few more chapters. So we ought to know who they are and what they stand for. What they say is, if you want to be uh, like us, if you want to believe in the God we believe in, that's fine. But you have to come through Judaism to get to Christ. You have to come through our customs. You're going to have to be circumcised. You have to eat what we eat. You have to observe our traditions, our ceremonial laws. You have to, in essence, in order to be a Christian, you must become a Jew first. Well, God is not in the business of putting barriers between himself and his people. He's in the business of breaking down those walls. And so this circumcision party is finding themselves against the gospel work of God. But they're incredibly upset. What upset them? What is their biggest complaint? What could it be? Well, Peter had disrespected the rabbinical dietary laws and rules of separation. Look at what they say. Verse 3. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They were furious that he had eaten with Gentiles. Now let that sink in for a minute. They were furious over fellowship. It wasn't an issue of theology or some sacred doctrine. It was having a meal with a Gentile. It was treating him like a brother instead of an other. The issue was one of fellowship, not really faith. It was a them versus us mentality. Even the way Peter explains things. If you'll focus in for a moment on the scripture, verses 15, 16 and 17, Peter is explaining to them. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us. And then looking in verse 17, when God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believe there's this them versus us mentality that Peter is battling against. They weren't excited that Gentiles had been saved or that the Holy Spirit fell on them just like at Pentecost. Instead, they were upset that Peter sat in fellowship with the ceremonially unclean. Peter had broken their tradition of keeping the barrier between Jew and Gentile. And this change was not welcomed. According to the circumcision party, any outsider who wanted to believe in their God must comply with Jewish customs. Even then, they were kept at arm's length. You might would say that they subscribe to a separate but equal type of argument. Now, our country's been through that before, and it didn't go well for us. It didn't go well for them. It reminded me as I was reading through this text of when I was a, a boy, um, uh, a young man, I, I brought some friends with me. To church, I had been inviting these friends to come to church with me for a long time, and, and they were kind of rough. You know, these were uh, just a, a rougher bunch of guys. And the church, I, particular church I went to, was kind of a clean cut, uh, sort of a, a squared around the edges, clean looking. You know, it was just that kind of church. 
That was where my parents and we went. And uh, so I finally talked these guys into coming with me to church. And when, when, when they came, it was for a night service. And it was in the summertime. And they were wearing shorts and a tank top. And uh, we came in. We sat down. And we, we listened. We worshiped. We listened. And when it was over, a little old lady came to my friends and told them they weren't dressed appropriately. And I remember thinking... With all that God could be doing, that's what you're worried about? That's what bothers you is the shorts, the, the tank top. With, that God might be stirring in the heart of two lost teenagers and you're going to tell them they're not welcome because of their clothes? It's the same kind of issue. It's majoring on the minors. It's actually majoring on man-made rules instead of God-given mission. Well, Peter showed them in his explanation. These 18 verses that we read are an explanation. He showed them he wasn't going rogue. He was just doing what God told him to do. So I just want to walk through it quickly. Peter doesn't react defensively. He just tells them what happened. I see a a lot of humility in Peter here. You know, they came to him and they criticized him. This is like a personal attack. But Peter, rather than bowing up and defending himself, he just says, guys, let me tell you what happened. And he just tells the story, walks through it verbatim. I don't know if you noticed, but this is the third time in two chapters we're reading this same story. We heard it from Peter. We've heard it from Cornelius. And now we're hearing the same story a third time. And it takes up a lot of scripture. The Holy Spirit might be trying to teach us something just by the quantity of scripture he uses to tell the story. He's probably teaching you and I that we too might have some uh, barriers that need to come down. Some things that need to change. Well, we talked about this already, but God set this whole thing up. The vision of the sheep and the animals, the angel that visited Cornelius, the three men that show up at the gate right at the right moment. The humility that Cornelius and his family show when Peter does arrive, Cornelius bows and he's like, we're here. We need to hear whatever it is you have to say. God set this thing up. Peter. Just following the Lord's lead. The Holy Spirit told him to go and make no distinction. What does that phrase mean? I told you to underline it as we read. What does the phrase making no distinction mean? The Holy Spirit said, I want you to travel with these with these uh, Gentile men. I want you to travel with them, making no distinction. So we don't quite grip this in our culture, but when they would travel A Jew and a Gentile could not travel together. They couldn't make the journey together. They couldn't stop for breaks and have a meal together. They couldn't be together. But the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go with them and make no distinction. You travel with those brothers like they're your brothers, not the others. So Peter took six buddies along. Why did he do that? Well, they're going to serve as witnesses For the work of the Holy Spirit. There's wisdom in plurality. Peter gets to Cornelius. And they say we're here. We want to hear everything you have to say. 
And Peter told them the gospel. I didn't spend much time here last time, but I, and I won't now, but I just want to show you simply, bullet point, what he says. Here's the gospel message. If you've never heard it today, this is the message that can save you. Here's the truth. Jesus lived perfectly. He was killed brutally. He was resurrected powerfully. And he will judge or forgive completely. That's the gospel message that Jesus or that Peter preaches about Christ. I'm going to go through it one more time. He says he lived perfectly. He was killed brutally. And when you put those two together, there's a problem, right? He didn't deserve it, but he he died willingly. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it. He died brutally, but God raised him powerfully. And here's the sharp reality is that he will judge or forgive completely. That's a beautiful truth. The, the Bible says, Peter said, he's, he is going to judge the living and the dead. But you, Peter says, you, everyone, can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. He either judges or forgives you completely. That's the gospel message. Peter preaches that message and he's not even got through with it. He hasn't even gotten warmed up yet. I mean, he's, he's just getting rolling and then boom, immediately interrupts his sermon. The Holy Spirit falls on these Gentile now believers in a powerful way. The Bible says just as the Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost with the same signs, even the, the speaking of tongues and the praising God that we read about in Acts chapter two. That's what's happening right here. Peter is seeing what he personally experienced. He cannot refute that God is welcoming in these people that they have always pushed out. Then Peter recalls the words of Jesus. He remembers back to Acts 1.5 when Jesus said, John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Maybe in Peter's mind, the word you has a new meaning. It's not just you apostles. It now is you, including the Gentiles. He's looking at what Jesus said. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's watching Jesus baptize these Gentiles in the Holy Spirit. And he's applying what Jesus said to them. This is a radical change. So Peter finishes his argument, his defense, so to speak, to the Jewish church by saying, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who am I? Now, Peter is almost saying I would have stopped it if I wasn't convinced that this was God's doing. I would have stopped it because I'm kind of with you like that's. I like I kind of believe the same way you do, at least until the whole sheet thing happened and all that stuff was going on. And then the Holy Spirit fell and it's like God's blowing my mind. Like I was with you, but here I am like, who am I to stop this? And, and maybe he's remembering back to what Gamaliel said. If you remember in Acts chapter five, when they wanted to 
when the Pharisees wanted to kill the Christians who were still sort of trucking along. And Gamaliel stood up, guys, listen, if, if this thing is of God, if it's of man, it'll fizzle out. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. It's unstoppable. And if you keep trying to stop it, you might find yourself fighting against God. Maybe Peter here is saying, guys, listen, if we try to stop this, we're going to be fighting against the move of our God. Do we want to be against God and what he's doing? Peter says, no. I didn't put this in your notes, but Peter's recipe for verifying uh, his whole defense. God led me to do this. That's his whole defense. Guys, you, you're accusing me for doing something. And I'm just telling you, I was doing what God told me to do. His whole defense hinges on these four things. So you might want to write these down. I'll just walk really quickly through these. It hinges on the word of the Lord Jesus. The scripture says he remembered the word. Here's the thing. If, if you think God's telling you to do something, you might want to use these four things as a, uh, a test to see if that's legit. It could be that you just had some bad pizza or something. <laughs> All right. Peter digs into the word of the Lord Jesus. That's what he said. I remembered what the Lord said. The second thing is the work of the spirit. He was able to just look and see God is doing something. The spirit of God is moving. Thirdly, the witness of others. It wasn't just his own experience. He brought those six guys with him. And if you remember in Acts 10, uh, the Bible says in verse 45 that they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. Those six men were witnesses of what God was doing. So when you're testing the spirit to see what you need to do, it's, it's okay to test it with other trusted believers and to, and to go to them and say, hey, I think this is what God's leading me to do. What do you think? And then lastly, the worship of the father. The result of all of this is that the father is glorified. The word of the Lord Jesus, the work of the spirit, the witness of others and the worship of the father. So the gospel of Jesus is establishing a new family by removing all earthly distinctions. We are all sons of God in Christ. I want this to resonate with you. I've got a scripture I want us to put on the screen. It's from Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 29. I want to read this to you and you read along with me. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So get this, where there were divisions, the distinctions, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaches now that those distinctions are gone. What we are now is we are sons in Christ. And many of you ladies in the room are like, 
and daughters and daughters. Right. But the Bible uses the expression sons because it wants you to get a grip on the fact that you have an inheritance in biblical terminology. Only the sons receive the inheritance. So Paul's teaching to tell you that in Jesus, you have an inheritance. We are heirs in Christ. So here's what I want to I want to say. Um, God is tearing down fences. That's those distinctions, making no distinction. He's tearing down fences and building a family. So I want to I give you the three things you can finally start filling out some uh, blanks on your, on your guide there. Okay, you ready? Three quick things. And I promise not to be long here. We must. Here's some practical things for Mountain View Church. If we, if we want to roll with the changes, if we want to be the church God wants us to be, if we want to be faithful to King Jesus and be effective in our mission of making disciples of all nations, here's at least three truths, three things from this text that we need to do. One, we must trust and obey. When I was a kid, there was a hymn we used to sing a lot. Trust and obey. Do you know it? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. What we see with Peter here is that he's just a recipient. He's not the boss. The Bible says Peter prayed. Peter saw a vision. Peter heard a voice. Peter followed the Spirit's lead. Peter remembered the word of Christ. Peter is somewhat passive in this whole story. He's just... Oh, oh, you want me to do that? Okay. Oh, you want me to do that? Okay. Trust and obey. We need to take a posture of humility. You don't know what you don't know. It took Peter three times to change his course. Three times. Now, Peter is a three-time kind of a guy, right? He's the... He's uh, Peter failed three times. You know, the rooster crowed three times. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me three times? I mean, Peter's a he's a three timer. Uh, and, and here we have it again. And here's the thing. The Lord said, Peter, take and eat. He's like, no, Lord. What an oxymoron, right? No, Lord. Hmm. Those things don't go well together. No. If no, then not Lord. <laughs> if Lord, then not no. Right. Trust and obey. So we need to take on a a posture of humility. Be humble and listen as a recipient. You're not the boss. Jesus is. We receive instruction. We faithfully obey, even when it doesn't make sense. That's what faith is, right? So church, let's resolve to follow his lead, even if it means making changes that push us, challenge us. Secondly, we must tell the gospel. We must trust and obey and we must tell the gospel. Did you notice in verse 14 in Acts 11, Cornelius sent word. He said, or the angel said that he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. The angel said that. Now, why in the world didn't the angel just tell him the gospel? Well, here's the reality. Angels are messengers. People are missionaries. Angels are messengers. People are missionaries. 
God wanted Peter to tell the gospel. And God wants you and me to tell the gospel. Here's the reality. Cornelius, as good a guy as he was, he was lost until he heard what Peter had to say and believed the gospel. He was lost. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And let's implement this phrase with no distinction. Romans 10. I love what Romans 10 says. It's it's commonly used when we're sharing the gospel with others. Romans 10, 9 is a popular one. It just says, um, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good? So we're commanded to make disciples of all nations, showing no distinction. Meaning we don't favor one particular people. We go to whomever God sends us to. And lastly, we see uh, in this section that faith comes by hearing. Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. So when Peter comes to Cornelius, he's preaching the word of God. Acts 11, 1, the word got back to the, the church in Jerusalem that even the Gentiles had received the word of God. We must tell the gospel. Thirdly, we must not stand in God's way. We must not stand in God's way. We need to be asking the question, God, what are you you doing? What is it that you are doing? And how can we be a part of it? In this text, God is granting repentance that leads to life. I want to ask you right now. Those in the room, those watching online, has God granted you repentance? Is there a change in your heart, in your passion, your desires? Have you you seen a transformation or do you still love the things you used to love? That's what repentance is, right? It's not just a, a change of direction, it's a change of desire that leads to a change of direction. It's a transformed heart. And God gives that. In Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to change what you want to do. You will want to obey my law. That's what God is doing in the heart of people. He's granting repentance to gift. Have you received that gift from God? Has your heart been transformed? Or do you still just love the world and the things of the world? God wants to give you repentance comes to you by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, God is granting repentance that leads to life and he is building a family while the world keeps building fences. You know, our world today wants us to be very divided. Do you know that? Do you know when you look at the news or when you watch social media, you scroll on your thumb? I'm telling you, everything in the world right now wants you to build a fence. 
wants you to go, oh, well, they're not with me. They're not with me. I don't like them. The whole world is trying to get us to build walls and build fences. And the gospel says, no, no, we're building a family. And it's a beautifully diverse, unique family. So here's some takeaways for us today. How can we join God in building his kingdom family? I want to challenge you, church. Let's set our, our sights higher than just rejecting racism. Now, you say, well, where, where are you going there? Well, it's here. It's in this text. But I want to set our sights higher than just rejecting racism. I don't want us to be defined by what we're against. It's too much of that. Let's be defined by what we're for. So here's what I mean. Let's reject any kind of racial, ethnic type divisions and let's embrace diverse relationship. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, well, I'm not racist. I I mean, I've got, I know somebody. You know, I mean, no. What I'm saying is let's not just reject racism. Let's embrace fellowship. That's the thing that got Paul and uh, Peter in trouble, right? He sat and had a meal with somebody that he shouldn't have. It wasn't that he was saying, hey, guys, the Gentiles are okay. They're okay. You know, the Jews are perfectly content with that. Yeah, they're good as long as they stay over there. What I'm saying as a church is we've got to be the kind of people that don't just reject racism. We embrace people's differences and diversity. We've got to welcome people in who are not like us, who are different. Peter didn't just preach to Cornelius. He ate with him. That's a big deal. It's true cross-cultural fellowship. That's the effect of gospel grace. It builds bridges where there used to be barriers. The beautiful mosaic of the church, Paul writes in Ephesians 3 verse 10, It's what displays the manifold wisdom of God. The whole world is supposed to look at this beautiful thing called the church and go, wow, how do those people love each other? And we're supposed to say, Jesus, that's the only way. He's the only way we love each other because we don't have anything else in common. All we know is Christ and him crucified, and that's enough. So let's set our sights higher than just rejecting racism. Let's embrace brothers and sisters who aren't like us. Secondly, let's make our highest claim of personal identity that we are in Christ. I want you to get what I mean by this. Because this is countercultural. Everything in our world today pits us against each other. You know, you got your Democratic voter, your Republican voter, your evangelical this, you got that. You got your black American, you got your white American, you got your, I mean, we could just keep going, right? With all the, all the distinctive identity markers. What I want to say is the gospel breaks down that culture of distinctions by saying There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Not even your gender bears a significant enough identity to be 
greater than your identity as in Christ. Not even my biology is a stronger identification marker than the fact that I'm a son of God. That's a big deal. We need to stop standing in our whiteness or our blackness and just stand in Christ. That needs to be the highest marker of our identities. Let's claim it that way. Stop clinging to the things that divide and cling to our common need of God's grace. Here's what I mean. As a Christian, you have a new dominant identity. That's what Galatians 3 teaches us. So here's what it means practically for us to make no distinction. We don't focus on our differences. We unite on the ground of gospel commonality. And here it is. We have one problem. Sin. There's one Savior. Jesus. There's one race. The human race. There's one hope. It's the gospel of grace. And there's one calling to make disciple of all nations. Amen. Amen? One problem. Sin. One Savior. Jesus. One race. The human race. One hope is the gospel and one calling to make disciples of all nations. Two more things and I'm finished. Church, I want us to pray. This isn't something we can do on our own. So we pray. We pray that God would tear down fences and build his family at Mountain View Church. May we be a beautifully diverse portrait of grace And the power of the gospel in this community. Pray, 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 pray. And lastly, we must commit to one another in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 tells us that family is not easy. How many of you know that? Family is not easy. Right? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) I know. Family is not easy. You know, in family, it's where people get raw. It's where things get real. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't have said. We do dumb stuff, right? So, if we're going to be a family, we have to be prepared to accept somebody when they do something dumb. To be able to be patient. And gentle and humble when somebody says dumb things. We must be resolved to bear with one another in love, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4. The truth is, we're going to do and say hurtful things, and we've got to be committed to one another. Why? It's because we don't want to sin in God's way. God's building a family, and let's not stand in His way. Where there were fences, God's building his kingdom family.